welcome guys today we are going to do our first interview for our channel i'm here today with michelle markey uh she's an investor and a youtuber too um she has a channel Mich uh, michelle markey investing uh i recommend it to you all so let's start with the first question we have today for michelle which is how did you start uh, investing and looking back at your childhood? Why do you think that you got interested in this, uh, this world? Well, thank you so much, David, for having me. And I'm so grateful to talk with you today. And I, I admire what you're also doing in your YouTube channel. So I, I want us both to be awesome investors. And back in my childhood, I was always very interested in saving money. Like when my parents or grandparents or other family members gave me money, I like to hold on to it and not spend it too much. Like I had like a little piggy bank and I, I like to collect the money to save it up for a big purpose someday, like say buying a car. You know, so I was able to buy a car when I was 17. And, and so some of that lesson of- That's illegal in Portugal. <laughs> oh, really? How funny. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, I, uh, that was like some of my goals. Like I learned, okay, if you save money, you, you make it grow so you can save it for a goal. Um, and when I was a teenager, my goal was to get a car. And then I also learned from my cousin and my uncle who they invested in the dot-com bubble and my uncle lost some money. So he was telling me some stories about you know, oh, like all the stock market things that happened during the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s. So, you know, that was an interesting lesson to me. And my cousin also told me about how to save for retirement. So uh, in America, there are some investing accounts that are specifically for retirement. They are uh, what they call tax advantage so that you're not taxed as much or you're taxed a little bit less depending on you know, which way you want to put it in, like either you save on taxes up front or you save on taxes later. So you have a choice, but either way, it's, it's a nice um, uh, motivator to, you know, encourage people to save for retirement. So I thought, well, that's a good idea. And also when I was a teenager, like your age uh, at 16, I went to work for Starbucks and then at Starbucks, they also gave me this option to say, oh, you could participate in buying the Starbucks stock. So even though I didn't know what was really going on and I wasn't sure if it's a good idea, I participated anyway. So a little bit out of my paycheck every now and then, the Starbucks would take out some money and then I would you know, somehow get stock in my brokerage when they would buy it once in a quarter. So around like 17, 18, somewhere in there, I started buying through the Starbucks program, the Starbucks stock as an employee. So that was cool because that was, you know, to this day, I still own that stock. So it's great when you can start buying stocks as a teenager and then you just hold on to it and you don't sell. Because if you if you don't sell, it can it can grow, you know, amazingly. So like that was a great lesson to me of of the power of investing and owning a stock for more than 10 or 15 years. And if you can do that, and if it's in a good company, then it will be uh, hopefully worth it, you know, like as long as it's not a bad company. So yeah, those are some of my early experiences. And I just thought it made sense. Like I liked the idea of compounding money. And I also realized um, I opened my first um, 
retirement account as soon as I was allowed to by myself at age 18. And I thought like, I'm going to save early. Like, I don't want to retire when I'm old, like in the 60s, 70s. I want to try to retire from work early in life if possible. So to me, that was something that I, I was very much looking forward to. So I, I feel like I was a little bit like you, like wanting to get ahead in, in this investing world a little bit early in life. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I heard some great stuff. Uh, we should bounce to Starbucks, actually, because I was very interested when I watched your videos. You talked a lot about Starbucks and I actually did some research about the stock and uh, the valuations and stuff. How do you feel about the current uh, valuations and multiples of the company and the performance and all, all? What's your take on it? Let's say. Well, um, I think it was a little bit on sale not too long ago when it was in the seventy dollar range, but I, I hadn't done that much updated valuation on it. But it's gone up since then, and um, I think there's a lot of great progress. Like they they're soon having the new CEO. I don't know if they already. They, they probably already took over, but like from Howard Schultz again, who came back as an interim CEO for the third time to help guide the company. And then the new CEO, I think, came. So now they're making more changes and I think hopefully it will be good. So, yeah, I think um, even though I'm not paying too close attention to it, like I just sort of leave it in the background. I think they're they're doing OK. Oh, that's great. Because like the, the last time I saw it, I think it was trading like 33 PE or something like that and uh, I just assume like they have such a strong branding and moat that it's it's worth it I guess and since you started uh, buying when you were what 16 somewhere around there yeah somewhere around there then you you must have done good progress on that on that investment yeah, uh, it's not bad yeah that's that's great great to hear that and so uh, more about this uh, stock valuation and how do you look at stocks? Uh, you made some videos uh, about how to look for value stocks. Uh, how do you in the current market, like, do you find bargains? How do you find them, uh, the your investment ideas? Uh, do you have like a reading list of annual reports or how do you go about it? Well, some of that is... So it's, it's interesting you say looking for value stocks, right? Because that can mean different things to different people. So I try to be careful about that term because sometimes it, it has a little bit of a, a negative connotation, like value stocks, sometimes people think of as like really cheap, like say, um, you know, one example right. would be if something has a very low PE ratio. So some people might say, if it has a low P ratio and it's not growing that much, it's cheap for a reason. So mm -hmm. I try to be careful about that. So what I'm what I'm going more for is say a wonderful business at a fair price. And that's what Charlie Munger talks about too, is you want to get a great business at a fair price. So if you aim for that, you know, you'll get better quality. And even though you're not paying the lower PE ratio of values, like sometimes they're just not cheap in the, the PE sense, but I use other valuation metrics, like um, based on looking in the financial statements and the annual reports, I pull out some data, like um, if, if you uh, are familiar with Warren Buffett's concept of owner earnings, that's yeah. one way where you take some pre-tax income, you add back in some of the other financial data like 
uh, amortization, depreciation, and uh, there's a few other criteria that you add in. And when you uh, add those up and then divide it into say some of the outstanding shares, you can arrive at one possible figure, depending on what rate of return you wanna get, of, of how much is okay to pay for a company. So um, that one I learned from Phil Town, if you've heard of him, he's um, he's got a podcast with his daughter named Danielle Town, and I recommend listening to them too, uh, Invested. So Could I Could you repeat Phil Town? Yeah, Phil Town and Danielle Town, and they have a podcast named Invested. Okay. Yeah, and also they also have a book called Invested. So I, I learned from them a lot of ways to think about companies of of measuring it. And they're very much like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger style. Like they they're trying to follow in their footsteps also. So I have them to thank for really influencing me to to adopt their style of valuing companies. And there's a few other methods that Phil Town uses, like there's uh, something called margin of safety. He has a formula for that. And also uh, this formula payback time, which uses free cash flow. So those are some of the ways that I use. And also a newer one that I, I also try to use now is from this investor named Adam Cecil. Okay. And Adam Cecil has this book, Where the Money Is. And he's trying to say, okay, we, we should modernize some of the value investing that Buffett did and apply it more to technology companies because you might know that um, before Warren Buffett was not so into technology, right? But most of us, we are mostly investing in tech nowadays. Like in many of, of the companies now in our time, they're more tech. So in order to adjust some of the original methods, um, Adam Cecil provides some more modern valuation techniques and criteria. So I also try to uh, include that, like he he makes an adjustment for the operating margin. So if we do that, instead of only reading the financial statements black and white, you have to mentally make an adjustment of like, okay, based on some other you know observations and trends, it should really be like this. So you uh, account for that maybe it's better to um, give the company more credit for what they're doing because they're say heavily investing in research and development. And, and sometimes that's considered more of an expense. So it takes away from you know, what the company is otherwise doing. Like, like for years, Amazon seemed you know, like they don't have any money, like they're, they don't have um, as much profits because they're reinvesting so much, but that doesn't mean that they're not profitable. Like Amazon's actually a really great company. So in that example, you know, even though some people, if you just look at the, the hard facts, it might not seem profitable, but it's like secretly profitable. So, you know, you come to appreciate it better when you realize what is the company doing with that money? Like if you really think carefully about how are they allocating the money? That's, that's really important. Yeah, I, I remember looking at Amazon like in September, something like that. And even from a from a fundamental standpoint or like um, deep value, it, it wasn't that expensive. So it actually went to a point where, where it was very cheap. And then I actually saw in the uh, 13Fs filings, a lot of investors like buying it at that time, around that time. 
so yeah, that's that's uh, that's a good point that you make. Uh, and thank you for the recommendation. I will make sure to to research that a little more because that's a, a new concept for me. Uh, besides that, I was I had a question for you about your style. Like uh, now you mentioned you are more Charlie Munger style, uh, fair business, uh, fair prices, like for mm -hmm. good businesses. Yeah. How do you make sure do you have like a margin of safety in those kind of investments? Is it more qualitative and less uh, quantitative or how do you measure the margin of safety in those well, kind of... In, in doing um, some different valuation calculations like I just talked about, so I have about three or four calculations I can do. So those uh, numbers will give me a range, you know, some margin of safety could be like say 50% off the intrinsic value of the company. And sometimes it might only be say 30% off. So I have to look at that range and decide, okay, this is the possibility. And maybe if I'm if I don't think the price will get low enough, maybe I start buying in sooner if I think, okay, this is I'm at the minimum high level. So let's say a stock is at $100 and that's the higher level of what's acceptable to buy. And then if it goes down more, like say to $90, maybe that's also good. And the lower it goes, the more you want to buy more. So right. I might initially start buying at the higher margin of safety number. But if it if it goes down more, then it will be good to just buy even more. But like what I learned is not to be too excited as soon as the number hits the, the higher range of the margin of safety. I should be patient because there's a very big possibility we'll go down even more and I have an even better buying price later. Yeah, and you have to conserve your capital because unlike Warren Buffett, we don't have infinite money. So <laughs> Yeah, but but yeah, he, he also has to conserve. So he also has yeah. to be careful how soon he buys in because he actually said that he made the mistake of buying too early in 2008, whereas Charlie Munger did it perfectly. Like Charlie Munger bought... Bank of America at the bottom in March 2009. So even Warren Buffett can sometimes, you know, he we all, you know, we're yeah. all not perfect in timing. Yeah, right. And timing, it's one of the biggest, like most difficult uh, things to do in the market. And some some people actually say it's impossible. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's why true. instead of focusing on timing, you focus on what is an okay price. You don't. You don't worry about the timing. You just think about, am I okay with buying the stock at this price? Like, did it meet my criteria of a, an appropriate enough buy price? Because sometimes it might go a little bit down to that level and then it doesn't come back. Like it will just go skyrocketing after. Right, yeah, that's that's true. And regarding the circle of competence, uh, do you feel more comfortable? You talked about technology, but there's a wide range of technology or uh, retailers and stuff. What's your take on that? Well, with like technology, I try to, you know, figure out if it's a something able to comprehend on my end. Like, so if I'm I'm learning about Google and Netflix and say semiconductors. And I just started learning about semiconductors. So for me, like I saw that Warren Buffett, his company Berkshire Hathaway bought Taiwan Semiconductor. So I wanna see like, can I understand how the semiconductor business works? So what I'm trying to do is just gradually work on that. Like not, I'm not in a rush. Um, like I just wanna take my time and see 
you know, if I borrow some books from the library or read articles online, can I be capable of understanding this company? So that's it. That's really important. What Warren Buffett has said is you want to know where your circle is and not go outside of those boundaries because that's when you make a mistake. So, yeah, like even I thought like before I, I made an investment years ago in Fiat Chrysler before it became Stellantis. And I thought like, oh, I think I can understand the car business. And, you know, I, I think it's a good, maybe a good value when I bought it. But um, even though I, I did my homework and I thought I understood, but the market was not really recognizing the value of this company. And maybe things have changed. Like maybe the market values more electric vehicle companies. And back in that time, in 2018, uh, Fiat Chrysler was still not yet doing electric vehicles as much. So um, considering that, they the market was discounting Fiat Chrysler more. So maybe I was like, I don't understand enough of the changing trends, even in the car area where there's a lot of changes with the technology in cars, right? Like, cause a lot of car companies are trying to compete with Tesla. So I thought, okay, this maybe is not the best investment. So I got out of that one because it's too many unknowns and I don't understand enough of how the industry is changing. Right, that's true. And even if there's a growth prospect in the future, if you don't know enough about it, you, you'll end up making a mistake further, yeah. the, further down the road. So yeah, uh, that's... So yeah, in, in that, that sense, for me, sorry. Fiat Chrysler was somewhat of a value trap, if you heard about that. Yeah. Like value trap. So yeah, you can get stuck in a company that you think has some underlying value, but then if the market doesn't recognize that, you know, you you can decide how long you want to stay in something that you feel like is, you know, kind of stuck. And it was it was stuck for a while, but it's gotten better since. But I, I've moved on from that. I'm no longer I don't want to be involved in the car industry for now. Oh, that's right. And right now, what do you feel most comfortable in? Like in what, like, for example, if one company popped up in your uh, radar, uh, a company, uh, an industry that you would be comfortable right now to make an investment, what would it be? I think it'd be like a combination of retail and tech. You know, okay. like I, I feel more familiar with the big tech and also the uh, consumer products, like, you know, more retail. So, you know, things that are, are very much more understandable for a lot of people like like when people want to get their morning coffee and i see all the lines of the cars going through the drive through at starbucks it's very easy for me to understand of like there's a lot of demand starbucks is still one of the more popular brands in america for coffee that it's like mcdonald's it's like one of the top if not the top one that a lot of people go through so you know considering its dominance it, it's not like there's some other company that has taken away the moat of Starbucks too much. I mean, there's always more coffee chains and more, but like so far companies like Starbucks or McDonald's are still at the top of the list of, of may of their, what they do. So it's interesting, um, you know, just seeing that. So those are the kinds of things you want to look out for is who are the best companies that are, you know, staying on top and, and other people, even though there's other competitors, they're still not quite catching up yet. All right. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's about this Chrysler investment, Fiat Chrysler, that was a mistake for you. Uh, and you actually analyzed it and why did it go wrong? 
so uh, how do you go about uh, mistake analysis? Uh, how do you look back to your investments? Or even how do you take lessons from other people's mistakes? Um, well, part of what I try to, to consider when I looked at that uh, situation, I thought, okay, maybe I, I was too late to this investment because some years before, another investor I really like is Monish Pabrai. And Monish Pabrai had made a great case for Fiat Chrysler and I was trying to study and it made sense. And, and by the time I invested, maybe I was a little bit too late to the party. So I realized like, even though I thought it was still a good deal, it maybe was not as good of a deal as when Monish Pabrai invested in it. And then he also took advantage of the spinoff situation when they spun off Ferrari. So that was a great event. Like sometimes when a parent company spins off a, a subsidiary company like Ferrari, they want to make sure that the new company is strong by itself. So um, I learned that Monish Pabrai wishes he would have held on to Ferrari instead of Fiat Chrysler because Ferrari ended up being the better company. So that's something to keep in mind is, is that kind of interesting uh, situation if you see a spinoff. And in a similar way, I saw Monish Pabrai bought Brookfield Asset Management, which spun off also. So that's also something I'm just studying. I have not invested in that, but I want to learn how that might be a good lesson there. But yeah, basically, I think I was too late to that kind of investment. And I didn't foresee that the market was going to value Fiat Chrysler more. So I thought like this is maybe going to take too long to realize its value if the market wants to acknowledge its value. And so I was feeling a combination of impatient and maybe I should allocate my money in a different way in something that can uh, grow better in time. So yeah, those those were some of the factors that I thought about. And, you know, I, I didn't think my math was off. Like I thought my math was okay, um, but I did not think that the market would appreciate it in the timeline that I thought it should appreciate. And um, yeah, that's something I like look out for is like, if, if super investors who are better than me, if they're getting out of a stock, I'm also thinking like maybe I should question why am I still in this? If if someone as great as Monish Pabrai, he's no longer in Fiat Chrysler, so maybe I shouldn't be in it either. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it shouldn't be like a straightforward answer. Like, okay, if he's out, I'm out. But yeah, at least question yourself. It's it's very important. Um, and do you use Excel? Like, because yeah. one of uh, one of Monish's like rules or commandments for investment is, uh, thou should not use Excel or make really? complicated math or yeah, something like that. So, uh, but I think what he means is like, uh, one should not use like complicated calculus or stuff like that to figure out if an investment is worth it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just like figuring that out because. As I told you, I'm very new to this, but I'm just learning. Yeah, I mean, tools. I just use a basic Excel. Uh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not making macros or too complicated formulas. Very simple math, like, you know, mm -hmm. multiplication, division. It's very easy. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, now that we are t talking about, like, tools and uh, those kind of uh, things, uh, what are, like, uh, your favorite tools for investment, uh, for investing? Also, yeah, I mean, you know, you can get a lot of the source material straight from the source, from the 10Ks, but, like, uh, sometimes I do that and take information from there, or I just use the free version of Guru Focus and get some 
say the earnings of the trailing 12 months or you know some of the growth rates that they have over the last five or 10 years. Some of those I might plug into certain calculations I have. So um, you know I just use what's free and available. And if it's not available online, you can usually find at least the last 10 years somewhere online of the annual reports. And then you do your own calculations from the source materials. Um, and otherwise, like there's lots of websites, like some people like to use screeners like FinWiz or, you know, there's so many online things. I like to look up the 13F filings of super investors, like on Dataroma or on the SEC website to look up just what are their investments. Like that's, those are just resources, not as much a tool, but uh, there's also some cool calculator tools on Phil Towns rule one in investing website. So people can also check that out. Of gives a lot of free resources also, which are nice. So yeah, that's something I encourage people to use. Whatever is as free as possible. And if you really yeah. like something, if it's really useful, then you can pay. But most of my stuff, I don't have to pay for it. So you can still do investing without paying, you know, subscriptions to places. Yeah, and that's an extra cost to your, to yeah, that's true. And do you do you use uh, Value Investors Club? Or not yet, the write -ups? I sometimes some people have shared write-ups with me from there. So I'm, I might sign up to that. Uh, I know it's a 45-day delay that you get the reports, but yeah. it's probably worth it. Yeah, I, I guess like you get a 45-day delay if you don't write a write-up too. So if you submit a write-up, and I'm working on that, because, but I, I guess I'm I still too inexperienced for doing a full write-up. But... Uh, it's cool because uh, Monish and other investors like Michael Burry, that the guy from uh, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. and uh, Norbert Liu, uh, and so many other investors. Actually, you can find write-ups uh, from them, like back in the days, like 2000s. Uh, Monish has a write-up about some of his early investments, and it's very funny to check the process and their thinking process uh back then because they weren't that uh that famous uh, at the yeah. time so yeah that's it's very cool oh, so yeah yeah you should check it out and since you you have more experience maybe you could also do a write-up i don't know if oh you... yeah we'll see maybe if i uh, get to that yeah um it's a good idea okay so now that we covered a lot of super investors i should ask you the question what have you learned about uh, from super investors, like besides investing, uh, some lesson that you can take uh, uh, to your life or other aspects of your life? Well, so um, what, one thing I learned from Warren Buffett was that if you want to have happiness in any relationship or, you know, whatever you would do in life is to have low expectations, because if you have too high expectations, then people will disappoint you. But like if you want to have success in your marriage or your friendships or your relationships with your family, if you have lower expectations, you will never be disappointed because you have low or no expectations. So nobody can make you upset. Right. So that's uh, I feel like a good life lesson is, you know, not for us not to expect too much from other people and, and just, you know, try to be more relaxed because that's how. We, we might have a better life situation like how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are in their 90s. So if you keep that less in mind, you can maybe live a very long life.
yeah that's true and they actually eat uh very bad so <laughs> maybe yeah. happiness and stress uh free life it's their their way to 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 be healthy and live long yeah uh yeah that's that's also one thing that i found very interesting about investing uh do you know william green the yes. guy from yeah, Richard mm -hmm. uh, yeah do you met him yeah in, in omaha last may oh right i should yeah. ask you about that I should yeah, ask because maybe we I can talk about that in a future video of future okay video. yeah yeah sure sure uh, he's so nice like I actually texted him in LinkedIn oh, yeah. uh, and he always answers to me and he's he's like amazing he's right now I don't know if you can say this but I will say it. uh he's in Zurich visiting um visiting Guy Spear right now yeah so, yeah he told Guy Spear is awesome yeah he they're both super amazing. Like I'm, I'm so grateful to have met them also. Whoa, that's that's yeah. We should definitely do a a part two about uh just about Omaha because I have so many questions. <laughs> um, yeah, William Green said that that investors are practical philosophers. So, okay. because like they actually have to apply stoicism and all these kind of schools of thoughts yeah. to to make uh, profits. Uh, and it's amazing how you can learn about life while still uh, learning about investing. And uh, I think both uh, of those things are connected. Okay, uh, I liked a lot uh, this conversation with you. I, I got some valuable insights and uh, suggestions to dig in more. Uh, and I like it so much that I think we should do it again, like uh, talking more about the annual meeting and other experiences with uh, investors that you have. So if you agree, we should uh, do a part two uh, on this on this one. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, for sure, David. Yeah, and if if not also part three and more, if we, you know, there's so much I feel like is great to talk about with you, and I'm really grateful that you had me on today, and I'm super happy for you know, connecting with someone like you who also values this style of investing. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm the one that should be grateful because like it's it's very valuable that you, you are open to share uh, your experience with young folks. And that's one of my goals with this channel. I always like view that uh, the viewers are my friends, my age. Uh, so I try to put things simple and it's very uh, valuable that you you are open to have this kind of conversation. So thank you so much for being here with us today and we'll see each other uh, very soon. Yeah, thank you, David. Yeah, bye.